One of the things I think is the coolest kind of beard you can possibly have is something I like to call the neared. And it, it's basically a beard on your neck. A neared. Get it? And uh, uh, chicks dig it. <laughs> Stephanie said, don't look at me. I don't, I don't dig that. Now, if you want to lose a chance, a chance with, of a girlfriend if you're younger, then grow a neared. <laughs> I, I was just going to mention uh, something this week. Our, my small group met, and many of you are in one of those small groups that we're doing. And uh, it, the particular one that Claire and I are in, there's, I guess, uh, six or seven other couples. And so last week, we were all around. We have dinner together before we do our uh, study. It's a little marriage study. And we're sitting around the table, and we, I'm laughing like I haven't laughed in so long, like better than, it's just a good feeling to laugh with friends. And I just want to encourage you as we're, uh, we're going to have some more small groups crank up here and uh, later uh, before the summer starts. And I would encourage you to, uh, if you're going to be around, to think about getting in one of those. Um, it's been a real joy. And we have some comedians in our church, and they're in, some of them are in my small group. <laughs> and man, we've, we've laughed so hard. So it's been really fun. Uh, just look for some some promotion around that coming up pretty soon for uh, May. I think April, May, June, we'll have some some more small groups starting up in there. Just wanted to throw that out to you. Uh, so, hey, we're in the series on Galatians. We're coming close to the end. Uh, this uh, thing we've called Set Free. Paul is holding up the gospel for these people who have been misled about what the gospel is. And he's trying to show it to them from different directions and They've been told by some people who are there that the best way that they can follow Christ is to help him help them. What they've been told is that if they do certain things, then they can be saved. They can be in a relationship with God. They're like, there, there's this message coming to them that says, if, if, you, if you'll do these certain things, then it will help Jesus help you know God. And that is what Paul is absolutely, frankly, he's angry about because we cannot help him help us. And we're going we're gonna to look at that from a certain way this time. Uh, we're in Galatians 5, and we're going to look at the same passage actually we looked at last week. We're just going to come at it from a completely different direction. And the thing about it is, in, in this, this change that Paul comes about in his letter in this fifth chapter, or how we've divided into five chapters, towards the end, what Paul is going to do is he's going to get real specific about this change that happens to believers when we are in a relationship with Christ. There's something specific that happens. So he's been describing all along the fact that we don't have to actually do things to help Jesus. We don't have to add things to our lives. It's not us plus doing this makes us right with God. Now he's going to say what happens is when we know Christ, when we're in a relationship with God because of what Jesus did, then certain things start to happen in our lives. Do you see there's sort of a, there's a, a difference between those things? One is we add, and the other one is that they're added to us, that our life begins to change because we know him. And this is where he starts to go in chapter five. And if you were here last week, you probably noticed I skipped right over the fruit of the Spirit. And so I, if you're a Bible person, you probably were like, what is he? He didn't talk about that at all. Well, we're going to hit that this week a little bit. But here's, uh, here's the, the main thing that I want to say to you today. And it's this. 
he's going to talk about this, this stuff called the fruit of the Spirit, which frankly, to me, sounds pretty churchy, the fruit of the Spirit. That's not something you want to go like, I guess, in our culture, go, hey, I'm growing in the fruit of the Spirit, you know, to your friends, you guy, you're real guys, sound like tough stuff. But I think once we um, work it through and talk about what it really means, it will make more sense. And maybe it's more translatable into our culture than we might think. But what is that fruit of the Spirit and how does it come about? So we're going to drill down into that a little bit today. How, what is it and where does it come from? How, how do we get that? Where does that change come about in our lives? So uh, the passage, like I said, is the same from last week, uh, 5, 16 through 25. But I just, I want to read 16 and skip down to 22. And, and start up again there. So Paul says, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desire of the flesh. Now 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, or I know it in my head the way I've learned it. Uh, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. So three things we're going to uh, unfold as we walk through the passage. One is treasure. Two is transfer, and three is transformation. Treasure, transfer, and transformation. Three T's. If I was in seminary and teaching this class, and this was a class, I would get a good grade for having three T's. (laughs) None of us here care at all, but... So before we we dig into that, I want to just make sure we do a couple of definitions uh, to be cl- so we're all on the same page. And, and we, we talked about these last week, but I think they're important. Uh, the spirit and the flesh, because those are also, to me, very churchy words, spirit and flesh. What does that mean? So just about the spirit for a moment. The spirit is also called the helper. Jesus calls this, and through the whole New Testament, this idea of the spirit is the helper. And I told you last week, and this is one of the most powerful things about the Spirit, this part of God that walks with us or we walk beside or fills us and this sort of, um, uh, uh, this this sense where where it can be said, we walk with him. This, it is better, Jesus says, that we have the Spirit with us than he be with us, which is kind of hard to fathom. I mean, wouldn't it be better, I think, if we had Jesus, like Jesus was right here. What do we do now? How do we do this? You know, he would tell us, right? But he says to his disciples who are thinking, how are we going to do this? Jesus says, the best thing that you can have, the best thing that can happen to you is for me to leave and to leave the spirit with you. So he walks with you and you walk with him. So that's one thing. And another idea is that the spirit, the same word for spirit is the word for wind. So the wind is something that is both unseen and strong, unseen and powerful. Okay, so when we're talking about the spirit who is this helper. He is unseen, but he is very uh, powerful at the same time. So there's that concept within the spirit. Also, the spirit is here to bring a sense of confirmation of our faith to us. Jesus says the spirit is going to come and give you literally this feeling 
that you are saved, this knowledge, this sense that you are saved because your feelings and my feelings matter. We're human beings. We have feelings. And God has, he recognized that. He created us like that and he wants us to understand it and feel the present, his presence through the spirit. So these are the things that the spirit does. So just to lay that out, maybe take some of the mystery away from when I say walk with the spirit or when Paul says that, that's, that's who he's talking about. That's what that means. And then the flesh, again, a big churchy word, the flesh is that part of us that is self-destructive. It is that thing that causes us without anybody else's help to choose things that hurt us and that we know are hurting us. And we all have that. It doesn't matter how old you are. It doesn't matter how long you've been a believer. We all have this peace within us that is driving us to be destructive to ourselves. Again, if I was in, if I was in Bible college, they would call this the sin nature, this thing that just hangs on with us and we continue to turn to. This, this thing, this destructive nature of the flesh, and I think we can use that interchangeably, the, the flesh is ultimately selfish. It's always looking out for me. How am I going to take care of myself? Me, me, me. It's the opposite of humility. It's the opposite of love. It's everything that is uh, driving us to fill ourselves up with what we can get right now. I recognize I may be the only person in here that deals with this, but just in case you are one of those also, uh, the, the, this dis- thinking through the idea of this sin nature as being self-destructive makes so much sense to me because I constantly choose, uh, in, in spite of great opportunities otherwise, to choose things that hurt relationships, that mess up my f- sense of relationship with, with the Savior with my wife, with my friends, with my family. I constantly, I mean, what am I doing? Why am I doing, and I choose that. It's this destructive side of us that is hard to um, detach ourselves from. And, and we'll talk a little bit about that as we get into the fruit of the spirit. So those two definitions, spirit and flesh, just so we're okay with that. So let's talk about this idea of the fruit of the spirit as a treasure. What I wanna do is just contrast with you Paul's list of the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, okay? So I didn't read this earlier, but I read it now. It's in verse 19. And Paul lays out a list of things that are going on in that culture. The works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I love how he says that at the end. Think, like, if this wasn't a complete list of everything you can think of, by the way, everything else, you know, that's destructive that you can possibly think of. You know, he, he just doesn't leave us an out. But 22, look down to 22. But the fruit of the Spirit, let's just lay these against each other. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self con- and self-control. There is no law against these things. I mean, if you just had to choose one of those sides, which one, I mean, which one would you choose? Which would you prefer? Just, I think it's an easy choice and it's a treasure that we would choose the beauty versus the ugliness of that list that Paul gives in verse 19. Treasure are just trouble, you know, this deep spiritual goodness of that fruit of the Spirit are just trouble. 
Let's just talk about a couple of those works of the flesh for a second. How about sensuality? Sensuality in our, in our culture tends to have sort of a, a sexual overtone, and, and that makes sense. But sensuality is, has to do with all of the senses and has to do with us deciding we're going to please ourselves. We're going to find a way to make ourselves happy at the cost of anything else. When we're sensual, we're trying to feed our senses, whatever those things are, to fill ourselves up with those things. That, that drives us. I mean, this happens constantly. Like, and I'll, I'll say it this way. We're always trying to find, and marketers are always helping us try to find a way to one-up what we could have been happy with, right? Each year, I'll tell you, I'll confess, there's a new bike that I think would be so much better than the one I just had, right? Or what, I mean, that's just an example. But we're always want to, and, we, and they, they, they teach us that, and we accept it in relationship. You know, if you just look like this, you know, that would please the senses of even other people. It becomes a thing about attraction. It becomes about us feeling a certain way about ourselves because we look a certain way or feel a certain way or successful in a certain way because we're trying to appease ourselves and others in their senses, in our senses. And, you know, uh, that is... That's a hard way to go, to constantly be trying to fill ourselves with things and help fill other people with things that don't matter at all. This idea of sensuality, uh, you know, we have to say also, is it wrong to have some sort of an aesthetic that we appreciate, something that we desire? Well, of course not. God created us with that. The difference is being driven being driven by sensual things or the, the opposite, being filled with what Christ brings us. And we'll, we'll talk more about that in just a second. But if we're driven by filling ourselves, by just meeting the needs of our senses, we are not going to find joy in life. It's going to be misery. And I think each of you are able to connect with that in some place. And the, so right next to sensuality is, is the word envy. Envy is this uh, sibling of sensuality, and it takes it to a new level. It's really wanting something someone else has. It's not just wanting to fill our senses, but it's desiring what we don't have and feeling completely inadequate because someone else has something we want so bad. It might even be that there's something that we have a deficiency in, truly health or financial resources, something we really are suffering with, and we, we envy the position of someone else. That, that is just destructive. It's just taking sensuality to a new level. And we all deal with that. So sensuality and envy are just two examples of, the, to me, the misery of seeking after these works of the flesh, these works that want to destroy. Those things will take us down and will ruin relationships when we pursue them, when we base our lives on them. But the fruit of the Spirit, I want to talk about two of those just real quickly. Joy and peace. Just set those against sensuality and envy. Joy and peace. Now, joy is one of those words that there's been a lot written about, and I want to just clarify real quick. Joy does not mean happiness. It can include happiness. 
But joy means even in the face of difficulty, there is a sense of contentment that comes from a relationship with God. Do you, do you see there's a little difference there? Happiness can be, oh, that pleases me, and I'm happy. Joy is something that's much deeper and in, in rooted, in fact, in our relationship with God. Because we are in relationship with God, we can look at all of our circumstances and find a sense of joy, a sense of contentment that goes much deeper than just what fills me right now because I see the bigger picture. And peace, peace again is like a sibling of joy. It's hard to have one without the other. You know, how many times do I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm just worried about something that I can't fix? I mean, that, I hate that. And I'm lying there, I'm thinking, I can't fix this, but somehow I cannot stop worrying about it. I have a complete lack of peace. I'm, I'm robbed of joy because I can't find a way to in, experience this thing. And, and the Bible describes it like this, peace. The peace that God gives that we desire so deeply it surpasses, I think it's in Galatians that says this, it surpasses comprehension. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Joy, the ability to, to um, experience contentment in the face of almost any circumstance, but also peace, which helps us to understand that, that we, are, we are absolutely taken care of, and if we can't fix it, it is okay because God is in control. All these things come because of a relationship with God. If we don't have that, then it is up to us to fix it or just hope that luck happens and it works out. So just to contrast the work of, this, the, work of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit, but there's something we can't see in the, in the English when we read it because our word for fruit is both singular and plural. But the Greek word is, uh, there's two different words. And this word is singular fruit. It's one fruit. So Paul wants to make sure that we understand, and we can't see this. We're seeing there's like a list of fruits, right? These, these results of, of relationship with God. But Paul says, no, it's a singular fruit. All of these things are, uh, they, they come about gradually as one. It's not just one like one thing at one time. There's this process where he is transforming us, and we'll get into this in just a moment. But all of these fruits are interconnected and interdependent. It's all one. It's all one thing. So it's important, I think, to see that. And, and some of you can, can dive off a little more deeply with God on that in particular thing. But there's another thing about it that's important, is that he's using this fruit metaphor, this idea that there is a fruit which we can picture. We can picture a peach on a tree or an apple, you know, over in Paonia or something like that. We can see what that looks like. This, uh, this bot- botanical or agrarian metaphor that he uses uh, indicates that there is this process that's taking place, right? There's a winter. When there's a, a tree that produces fruit, there's a winter and there's a spring and there's a bud, and then the fruit comes about, right? It's not always, always going to be that there's fruit there. And in, in their metaphor as well, what they understood as Hebrews, or in that culture, 
he was speaking directly about, like, in particular, grapes or wine making. So that there, are, there is this uh, um, idea of these, uh, uh, this fruit that is being produced. It doesn't all happen all year long. It happens at one time. And then it comes back around, and it comes back around. So we need to understand, if we're not there, if we're struggling, if we're, what's going on, what's happening with my spiritual life, why am I not, why am I not growing? All the time in the winter, things are happening inside those trees, right? Eventually to produce fruit. So these things, this is what God is working slowly. And Paul wants us to see that as well. If we're not showing this incredible fruit, if we're not, you know, doing wonderfully as we walk with the Spirit, that doesn't mean that the game is over, if you will. So, this, this idea of this treasure, this fruit is a treasure that we have. So let's step over for a second, talk, this, talk about this idea of being transferred. The, the, what it means, what I mean by that is that the fruit of the Spirit means that the power of the flesh has been transferred. Look at verse 24. This is super important. I, I, I think really hard to, uh, to get our minds around, but super important. As though... 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So when something is crucified, as we understand it, that means that it's killed, right? It's dead. If something has been crucified, it's over. But how do we, how do we reconcile that? Because if you're a Christian and you've been a Christian for a day or, or 30 years, you're still wrestling with the power of these works of the flesh, they still are, they encumber us, they still bring us down. So how is this? Well, I think there's two parts to, to answering that. Two things about this idea of uh, transferring, uh, a transfer that happens when, when in this idea that Paul is saying, speaking of with the crucifi- crucifying of this power of the flesh. Um, when I was uh, a young guy, I had a lot of freedom because both my parents worked. And so, especially in the summer, I would, uh, I'd get up and I'd watch The Price is Right <laughs> and then Happy Days. And I don't know if anybody, else, but then my friends would all be up and we'd be gone, all right? And I had some friends uh, in this particular stage in my life, which these guys, um, really, uh, their sole goal was to see what they could get away with. Okay. And they had the same situation that I had. I don't know if anyone can relate to this. And I would love to blame all of the temptations and things that I gave into on them. But the fact is that I was one of them too. And so uh, the, over the years that we hung out together, the things that we did continued to escalate and escalate. And finally, some would say by luck, I would say um, something uh, more providential than that. I was not with them when they got in big trouble, when it really, really mattered. And when when that happened, uh, when they broke the law in such a way that uh, it, it changed their lives, and I just happened not to be there, my parents uh, said, made this rule. They said, Scott, you can no longer hang out with those guys. Now, As a parent, that is a really hard decision to make. But it's one of the best decisions my parents ever made. One of the hardest, I'm sure. And it was really hard for me. Because when I would see those guys, 
in the neighborhood, I would be like, I really want to go and hang out with him. And there was this tension and all this between us. Because um, I had, there had been this barrier put up where I could not be with him. And my parents basically would say, said, basically, your life is over if you hang out with him anymore. Which, to a kid that age, you know, it, it probably means that it is over, you will die. <laughs> so, uh, in, in a much more, I was no, let me say it this way, I was no longer required to go with whatever whim that we came up with because I had been separated from them. They still existed. They were around the corner. They're around every corner. But I was, because of the help of my parents, I no longer had to do whatever was happening with them. I wasn't strong enough on my own. I needed the help of someone to come along and say, you, you cannot do this. You cannot follow that destructive pathway. It will not end well. And so, thank God, my parents pulled me out of that. I had someone to speak into that in a much more significant way, a much more permanent, in a deeply spiritual way. Now, this is the same thing that happens with, with this time of crucifixion of these things. If you will, it, it, those things still exist in the world. They, they're still a part of our flesh because we're still humans. But those things no, no longer have to make us be engaged. They no longer have to. And that's a beautiful promise that's in this passage. It doesn't mean you're a failure because you have trouble. Those things are just in the world. But they no longer have to take us away. But here's the, here's the beautiful thing. When it says that those, those works of the flesh have been crucified, this is the beautiful thing. The, this is what it means. The penalty has been taken away. The penalty for following those things, for, for being self-destructive, for wrecking our relationship with God and others, that penalty has been taken away. That's why he talks about the crucifixion because he's pointing to Christ. He's saying those things are gone at the cross, gone because of the cross. And that's a beautiful thing. And it, it, it's something that we... When we look at these fruits of the Spirit, when we're talking about what it means to follow Jesus, the most important, or walk in the Spirit, as Paul's saying here, one of the most important things we can understand is that the penalty, past, present, or future, for anything that has happened or will happen, has been done away with through Christ. That means the things that I constantly do, the pride, the envy, the selfishness, the greed that bubble up in me and cause me to make these decisions, those things, it's not about that failure. It's about the fact that Jesus has taken the penalty for that away. And that can transform me. Just that information. So the consequences have been transferred. And the absolute necessity to follow just whatever whim comes up, whatever's going to please me, that has been moved away. It's still present, but it's been moved away. It's also been transferred, just not quite as far. The penalty has been completely done away with. Okay, and then finally, let's talk about transformation just for a second. When we become believers, if you put your faith in Christ and believe that what he did makes, a, makes you right with God, there is an immediate change and a gradual change that takes place. This transformation. There is uh, the immediate sense of reality that you have been adopted into the family of Christ. 
You are now in the family. We've talked a lot about this. This is what the gospel is about. You're in the family. You have the last name. It cannot be taken away from you. You are there. But then there's this gradual process in which we're growing and moving forward. And here's the cool thing. Paul says, it's, when you're a believer, this is the fruit of the Spirit. This is inevitable for you. There is a change that will be taking place in you that is inevitable where this fruit begins to come out, begins to be produced, even over a long period of time. And Jesus uses this, uh, this idea when he says, you're grafted into me. And he's talking about himself as this main root, the, the main, um, the core of the vine that people are grafted into spiritually when we become believers because through him, then we produce fruit. Okay, this is winding up to the end here and this is the most important part, okay? We don't produce fruit because we force it to happen. We produce fruit because we're grafted into the one who produces the fruit through us, okay? It's, he calls it the works of the flesh. You do these things, we do, do, do. But the fact is that when we're grafted into Christ, he produces this within us. And this is just the opposite of what we're taught and how we think and how we work. It just, you know, we think if we get a coach, they're going to teach us how to do everything right and we're going to be great, right? If I learn these verses, everything's going to be just right. If I pour this, if I choose, if, if my wife says, you know what, you really are a selfish guy. And I say, okay, everybody's telling me this. I need to change that into gentleness and peace. So I'm going to work on that. I got that solution, Right? Adding things, it's like, the, it's like, it doesn't make any sense to go over to Clark's and get a peach in season and then go and tape it onto a tree, right? You don't add the fruit to the tree because you think it would be great. The fruit comes from the tree. So this is, it's, it's so important for us to understand that it's the, it's the way that it comes the fruit comes from, and I'll just, I want to say this word over and over again to us through this year. It comes from abiding in Christ. From knowing Jesus, these things are produced, not by adding them. So when I think to myself, like, I'm a solutions guy. If you know me, I just want a solution. Don't, don't even bother to bring me the problem. Just tell me what the solution is, and then we'll, okay, or give me three solutions, and we'll figure it out. I like that. But that's not what this is about. If there was a solution, it's not checking the box. What it is, it's going back and saying, no, Jesus. That's, that's the thing that has to happen. Not adding stuff on, not taping fruit to the tree that's just going to rot and die right there. It comes from abiding in Christ. And so let me just, uh, abiding is just another word for having a relationship with. And if you have, this is going to be maybe, uh, to some of you, it may not make sense. Some of you, it might make a lot of sense. If you want to see change, if you want the fruit of the Spirit, if you like the idea of those things rather than the works of the flesh, the solution is to know Christ better. And if you're going to know Him, if you have, in the same way, if we have a human, human relationship, how do we do that? We spend time together. Now, for some of you, this is like, I don't even know where to start. We're so performance-based. What do we do? How do I do that? How do I... Well, 
I, I love it, how, how Jesus continually, when things get tough, he says, you know what, guys? Y'all stay here. I'm going to go and spend some time with God. And he steps away from the fray. And that may be for you in the morning. It may be once a week. Any time you can pull away and have time. If I never spend time with Claire, ever, how much relationship do we have? Not a lot. If I never spend time with my friends, how much relationship? We know about each other, but we don't know each other. So I just want to leave it at this without going into a whole list of the things that you could do. Step away from everything that's going on and spend time with Jesus. Just try it. That's where the fruit comes from, not by deciding you're going to be better, not by doing works to make yourself better. I think, I think our church, our, within our families, in our impact in our community in broader sense, if we lived that out, if we, if we were first in relationship with Jesus and then let the fruit of the Spirit come, it would make such a dramatic impact. Rather than, I'm just going to be better at this. I'm just going to do, and, and this is what Paul is saying to them over and over again. The gospel is not about doing, it's about abiding in Christ. I'll leave you with this uh, thought. Um, there was a Christian author a long time ago, and he, he said uh, he was observing this huge granite cliff wall area and there was a grove of, uh, of uh, oak trees and in this one particular place there was this oak tree that was clearly hundreds of years old and at some point an acorn had fallen and landed on this hard granite face and somehow gotten a little niche and the roots of that acorn as it began to grow, had reached down into this solid rock and split it apart over hundreds of years. And those roots had just pushed that granite until it was just moved all around. And, this, and you've seen stuff like this before. The roots are just deep. They've split rock. That rock could have, you know, 500 pounds of rock would have crushed an acorn, right? Just a few pounds would crush an acorn. But over time, the, the fruit of this tree resulted in something incredible. It was a gradual process, but a process that shattered granite and produced this tree that had tons of fruit and again was, was reproducing again and again and again. This is, the fruit of the Spirit works like it's not all at once. It comes over time. It's a botanical metaphor. I just want to encourage you to remember that as you're digging in. If you're saying, I'm going to walk with Jesus, I'm going to get to know him, it takes time. But the results can be powerful. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Who doesn't want that? And the result, it is the result of knowing Jesus. I'll close with that and we'll go. God, thank you for your word. I thank you for Paul's uh, practicality here uh, towards the end of his book or his letter to these people. And I pray that this, our body here, and even Christians on a, a much larger scale, or would truly begin to see that it's not about doing certain stuff or being a certain way, but it's about knowing Jesus and walking, as Paul says here, in step with the Spirit. So, Lord, give us the desire to spend time to build the relationships so that we're abiding and then the fruit can come. Pray for that, Lord, for each of my friends in here. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, y'all, have a great 
afternoon, get your tank tops out, your sunscreen. Sun's out, yeah. 